Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art presents the final season of Listening Forest. Guests are invited to explore an interactive world of light, sound, and wonder in this immersive nighttime experience. Open now. Tickets at crystalbridges.org. Candy Songs Kids Music Fest and Fun takes place September 16th from 4 to 8 p.m. at Bentonville Brewing Company. Musicians include Candy Lee, Papa Rap, and Shaky Bugs. Activities include a craft table, a bouncy house, and a magician. Information on Facebook. Tickets available at candy-songs.square.site. This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, September 15th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. Ahead this hour, Crystal Bridges is opening Annie Leibovitz at work today. Yesterday, there was a media preview led by Annie Leibovitz. What she has to say about her work and her career later this hour. First, let's find out what Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics has to say about some of what transpired this week. He joins us from his office in Fort Smith. Happy Friday, Michael. Well, thank you, sir. And let me note, um, I have no connection to Crystal Bridges. I don't know if anybody works there, so there's no self-serving. Uh, but, you know, what, 10, 11 years in, it's it seems like two or three times a year, yeah. every year, Crystal Bridges continues just to impress with some of these great events and exhibits. So kudos to them. All right. I mentioned that you're in your office in Fort Smith, but you've been in Little Rock, where there were discussions about the Freedom of Information Act in Arkansas on Monday one slew of bills was introduced. By the time they were passed, they were different bills, weren't they? Yeah, vastly different bills. So um, Governor Sarah Sanders uh, wanted um, exemptions to the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act, which is considered one of the, if not the, best laws among all 50 states in terms of government transparency, wanted to make some significant changes, um, three primary changes. One, she wanted to change which records um, were available in terms of her travel records, security protocols. She wanted um, to include what's called the federal exemption. Uh, the federal exemption essentially limits any deliberation among state agencies, state officials about policy and other governance matters. Um, so essentially, in terms of the federal government, this is what we hit. Kyle, back in 2014, 2015, when we were wanting to understand the negotiations behind the federal consent decree in Fort Smith, we couldn't, you know, um, they were public bodies talking about a public water and sewer system that we use as public taxpayer dollars, but the public had no right under that federal exemption to understand what kind of deliberations and discussions were going on. That's what Governor Sanders wanted to implement in Arkansas. Um, and she um, also wanted – there's a retroactivity clause, which was dubious at best. Um, but what was interesting, again, like, like you said, I was there, and it was um, – in the bottom line is the uh, – after several amendments, several versions of the bill, it eventually got cut back just to the security provisions of her travel records, which is still problematic. There's still a little bit of a camel's nose under the tent aspect to that. Um, but that's all that got passed. And it was amazing, Kyle, to see some very disparate political groups. You had Progressive Women of Arkansas next to the Pulaski County Republican Committee. I mean, you had across the political spectrum people showing up and saying, no, 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 we're not going to do this to our Freedom of Information Act. We're not going to let you guys take away our ability 
to know what you guys are doing. And like I said, this crusty old cynical journalist was just encouraged. Maybe a little, maybe I got a little bit more energy reinvigorated uh, from seeing uh, democracy in action, so to speak. But they pushed back. Uh, there is concern. Even Governor Sanders said it in her Thursday press conference that she's not, when she was asked about the FOIA bill that she eventually passed, um, she essentially said she's not finished. Her her efforts to make changes to the bill, to the act aren't over. So there was some scuttlebutt about folks saying we may need to get a citizens' initiative to get the law into the Constitution, so governors and legislators can uh, change it in the future. But um, that's where so essentially transparency advocates won this week, and so we'll see how that continues. How that's um, uh, we'll continue to see what happens with FOI uh, in the future. You know, with this special session, there weren't that many topics. There was the Freedom of Information uh, Act. There was a tax cut. There was some discussion about, uh, you know, COVID and masking going forward. Right. If you go to a regular session, there can be a, a waterfall of legislation. You wonder yes. if it would have received as much concentrated opposition had it been a regular session. Well, I think it would have. I okay. think because the what the changes were so um, deep, uh, the cuts, uh, the the word "gutting" was used quite a bit by folks who testified. Um, I think I think it would have brought out. I think it would have brought out folks, um, and maybe maybe even more folks because you would have had other issues going on, and and you would have had a lot of folks that were there for other issues also pushing for this. But I, I don't think it would have changed, and. If they try to make those changes again in the 2025 regular session, I anticipate a similar similar um, outpouring of public resistance. The Arkansas Real Estate Commission is investigating Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority. Why? Well, that's a good question. Um, well, no, that's a that's an easy question to answer. But how they're going to investigate and on what grounds is um, I'm not going to pretend to know. Uh, Daniel Mann, who's the executive director of the Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority, part of his contract was amended to provide him – it's called merit pay, 2% merit pay on property sales. It's essentially a commission. So there were several realtors in the Fort Smith area, developers, who said, wait a minute. Arkansas law is that you cannot sell or you cannot collect uh, commission on real estate unless you're a broker, real estate agent, that type of thing. And so they filed a complaint with the Arkansas Real Estate Commission. The Real Estate Commission this week, uh, and, and we've reported that that uh, – we, we had been told that complaint had been filed, but without the Real Estate Commission acknowledging it and giving it um, – saying they're going to investigate, there really wasn't anything there. So they now said they're going to investigate. Um, the attorney for Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority um, – and by the way, this 2% was added to – Mr. Mann's contract in December 2021. Um, the Dalton person, the attorney for the FCRA, has said that um, they're wrong. The 2% commission is allowed under um, a federal law. Uh, they, he said they looked at it before they even put it in place, and it's legit. So it's going to be interesting to see um, how the real estate commission comes down on this because. I'm not a student of federal law and how federal um, real estate law, as it, especially as it applies to uh, mortgages in the, in, in, in the case of what Mr. Person is talking about, how that either supersedes or um, counteracts 
Arkansas's law on who can collect commissions. So we'll be watching this investigation closely. And we're also going to report on how once we get the – we've asked the redevelopment authority about how much money Mr. Mann has collected under the 2%. Once we get that, we'll report on that also. And the University of Arkansas Fort Smith has this wonderful family enterprise center, and uh, Chancellor Teresa Riley has an idea for a new name. What is that? Yeah, it's the the it'd be named after the late Jim Walcott. And um, I here's another encouraging story. This has just been an encouraging week for me, I guess. Um, I've known Mr. Walcott. He was head of uh, Weldon Williams and Lick uh, for a long time, one of the longest business, longest uh, organized businesses, and. Fort Smith. I mean, it started in 1898, um, and Mr. Walcott was the head of that. Mr. Walcott was just—he was widely known inside business and civic circles for making things happen. But he was—he was so um, allergic, I guess is probably the best word, to any kind of public attention or public praise. He refused to do anything that might shed you know, some light on him. He just, it wasn't about him. And so um, he died uh, recently after a long battle, died May 7th after a long battle with cancer. And um, so it's nice that, uh, and I'm sure if Mr. Walcott were alive, he would not be happy <laughs> with this naming, but uh, they're going to name the Family Enterprise Center at the University of Arkansas at Fort Smith after him. And it's a great, um, I think it's a great move and kudos um, to the university officials for coming up with this idea and first national bank of Fort Smith for providing a lot of money to um, support that, the, the renaming effort. So um, it, anyway, it's a good move, encouraging, and uh, it's a, it's a true uh, acknowledgement of, of everything Mr. Walcott uh, did and the things that he did that will continue to benefit Fort Smith. For example, he was one of the initial movers to, push for the creation of the uh, medical school that we now have in Fort Smith. Well, an encouraging week for Michael Tilley that actually began with a Dallas Cowboy 40 nothing shutout of the Giants. You had a great five or six days. Yeah, which means that um, <laughs> the Cowboys it. will get nowhere near the Super Bowl now. I Or it was the, yeah, I I, I, I knew that you, you would go searching for that uh, cloud with the, you know, instead of the silver well, lining. Yeah, when it comes to the Cowboys, the cloud is there. <laughs> you can read about everything we've talked about, minus the Cowboys, at talkbusiness.net. We'll talk again next week. Michael, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, sir. In the background is jazz saxophonist Alicia Patillo doing Joshua Redman's Can't Dance. And I'm Robert Ginsburg, your host for Shades of Jazz. On this week's edition of the show, we'll hear an interview and more from Alicia, as well as music from Veronica Swift, Kevin O'Connell, Nick McLean, and much more. Tune in to Shades of Jazz right here on KUAF. Shades of Jazz tonight at 10 on 91.3 KUAF and tomorrow from 11 until 1 on KUAF3. You can ask your smart speaker to play KUAF3 or you can listen at KUAF.com. Ahead on our show, Annie Leibovitz guides us through some of her aha moments from a more than 50-year career as a photographer. And what it is, it's, it's, it's not the moment. It's not the moment Nixon at the, is at the door waving. It's, it's an after moment or an in-between moment or, or um, it's not the heightened moment from, from, from the scene, but 
it gives you a lot of information. From capturing a quiet moment the day President Nixon resigned to the last photo session for John Lennon to hundreds of other images, Annie Leibovitz yesterday escorted reporters through her new exhibition that opens at Crystal Bridges today. Highlights from that preview in about seven minutes on today's Ozarks at Large. Caleb Rawson, a professor of accounting in the Walton College of Business at the U of A, has researched the role of strategic communication and public information in the trading of stocks. Two of his recent studies found that companies often issue a press release touting positive news at the same time that they're forced to disclose bad news. Also, corporate insiders with operations in China were more likely to sell stocks prior to the stock market crash following the coronavirus outbreak. We posit that this is because they were better able to incorporate and act upon public information about COVID before other investors. They saw the impact that COVID was having on their own factories and supply chains and knew that it was going to be a big deal and pose a threat to their business. You can hear more in the latest edition of Short Talks from the Hill, a research and economic development podcast from the University of Arkansas. You can listen at KUAF.com, arkansasresearch.uark.edu, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good Friday. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums. Legislation from this week's special session of the Arkansas legislature is now becoming law. Yesterday, Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders signed a law expanding exemptions in the Freedom of Information Act to include her security information. The law is a narrower version of a bill by Republican Senate President Bart Hester that would have drastically changed FOIA laws throughout the state. The bill was replaced after it was met with bipartisan criticism from lawmakers and the public. Governor Sanders was asked about this during yesterday's signing. We've made it very clear that our number one priority was the safety component within the FOIA legislation. That's part of governing. You come in, we got exactly what we really needed that is critical, and we're not going to continue or not going to stop continuing to fight for more government efficiency and effectiveness. And I think this is just the beginning of that process. The governor also signed a bill preventing state employees from being required to get COVID vaccines, and a law cutting personal and corporate income taxes across the state. Arkansas 3rd District Congressman Steve Womack will seek an eighth term in the United States House of Representatives. Congressman Womack, a Republican, was first elected to the House in the 2010 election cycle. He says his priorities for the next term would include support for the country's military and his constituent needs. Before serving in the House, he was mayor of Rogers. UAMS is hosting a free puberty education event for teen and tween girls with qualified doctors and women's health physicians Sunday. Girls must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. Nicole Bedard, one of UAMS's community program directors, says the program aims to... To create that space where we're able to have and facilitate healthy and factual conversations for girls about this stage of their lives and then helping them feel empowered to have those conversations um, amongst each other and then also with their parent or guardian. The program covers growth and development, hygiene, nutrition, Internet safety, menstruation, and more. She says the space they are creating for young girls is unique and focused around having important and factual information about their health. And we are so pleased that we have three UAMS OBGYN physicians who will be leading the education and conversation for girls and their adults who will learn about their changing bodies and minds. And this is a really important, critical age for them to start these conversations about what's happening in their lives, about their health and their wellness. 
She says girls need the correct tools and instruction to expect physical and mental changes, as well as how to talk about these topics. Um, so we hope that people will attend this event and walk away feeling empowered to have those conversations. We hope they'll be able to navigate the body changes that are occurring during that stage with more confidence and support. And we hope that they'll be better informed about valuable health information. The event takes place Sunday afternoon from 2 until 4.30 at the UAMS Schmeeding Center for Senior Health and Education in Springdale. Parents are encouraged to register online for free at uamshealth.com slash girlology. Work on the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences Health and Orthopedic and Sports Performance Center will hit a new gear after today's groundbreaking in Springdale. The 115,000-square-foot center will serve as UAMS's sports medicine and orthopedic headquarters. The facility will be built on Watkins Avenue in Springdale. Mike Conley, a former Arkansas Razorback track standout and Olympic medalist, is now officially in the Collegiate Track and Field and Cross-Country Athlete Hall of Fame. The induction ceremony for the 2023 class took place last night in Eugene, Oregon. Throughout his collegiate career, Conley amassed a total of 62 points at NCAA championships. That makes him the highest-scoring male field eventer in the history of the competition. Conley becomes the second Razorback to be inducted into the Collegiate Athlete Hall of Fame. Join Eric Walder, the longstanding collegiate record holder in the long jump. He was part of the inaugural class in 2022. The number 16 Razorback volleyball team concludes its non-conference schedule with three matches in Queens, New York this weekend. Arkansas plays in the Red Storm Classic today and tomorrow, facing host St. John's University, Buffalo, and Bryant. Arkansas is 7-2 and two and will next play in Barnhill Arena a week from tonight, hosting South Carolina in the SEC opener. And Arkansas soccer, ranked 11th in the country, begins SEC play tonight at Tennessee. Ben will be back in Fayetteville for the last non-conference match of the season Sunday. They host Grand Canyon Sunday afternoon at 1. media preview tour of a new exhibition at Crystal Bridges Museum attracts a healthy number of reporters. Yesterday, there were a lot of reporters. What y'all are about to see is something very special. Alejo Benedetti is the acting curator of contemporary art at Crystal Bridges. This is Annie Leibovitz at work, but it is also Annie Leibovitz's mind at work. It is Annie Leibovitz who has been in the gallery, moving things around, changing things, making sure everything is perfect for y'all to, to walk through. And I think that with this desire to, to really allow an artist's voice to come through. The museum is opening Annie Leibovitz at work to the public today. It's part retrospective, part commissioned new works. And yesterday's preview was led by Annie Leibovitz herself. She says this exhibition's composition, iconic works leading to newer, even premier works, came from a visit with Alice Walton that included a boat ride 
with the Crystal Bridges founder. She jumps in the water at, you know, like 12 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> She's really, I couldn't keep up with her. But, um, you know, you know, during our visit, you know, they said, oh, we are, would you be interested in doing a show here? And I, and I said, you know, I, I, I would really love it if you would let me do some more work. Can I, could you commission me to, um, you know, I, I work for great magazines. Um, it might be the end of the era for, for magazines, but um, there are people I'd like to photograph that, I, you know, I don't always get the chance to, and I said, would you um, help me with that? And they, they said, absolutely, let's do that. Leibovitz says she created the exhibition thinking about young people who might be interested in becoming photographers. The first two galleries are unassuming collections of photographs, sometimes attached to the walls with pushpins. They include what she calls the aha moments of her 50-plus year career that taught her about photography. She includes some of her earliest images from her first years at the San Francisco Art Institute, where she enrolled, by the way, as a painting major and discovered the immediacy of photography during a night class. Quickly, she applied for a position at Rolling Stone when the publication was still a newsprint periodical, much more reliant on words than visuals. But early on, she was teamed with some legendary writers. Cohort with people like Hunter Thompson and Tom Wolfe and go on these, these stories with them. Um, uh, I think one of the most important things that I acquired at Rolling Stone was that they made you feel, you learned very young that what you did mattered. And I can't, you know, that means so much that, you know, for our young people that, you know, that, that they're, you know, credit, they're credited for what they're doing and that what they do really does matter. It was an assignment with Hunter S. Thompson that led to a major development in her career. The pair was covering the final days of the Nixon White House, granted access to the day Nixon would resign and fly away from Washington, D.C. And Hunter never made it. He was poolside at the, at the, <laughs> at the Hilton in Washington, D.C., watching it on TV. And uh, because of that, he never filed his story. So Rolling Stone ended up running, for the first time, 11 pages of my pictures. And um, it was the first time they ran a photo spread. One of the photos from that assignment was one of Leibovitz's aha moments. While veteran White House photographers eased into up-close proximity to capture a departing Nixon, Annie was on the margins. After those veteran photographers left, she snapped a photo of Marines rolling up the rug that had led to Nixon's first helicopter ride as a disgraced former president. And what it is, it's, it's, it's not the moment. It's not the moment Nixon at the, is at the door waving. It's, it's an after moment or an in-between moment or... or um, it's not the heightened moment from, from, from the scene, but it gives you a lot of information. Three years later, another lesson. Mick Jagger asked Annie Leibovitz to be the photographer for the Rolling Stones' 1975 tour. She says she shot a lot of film and, in her words, fell victim to the rock and roll circus of touring with the Stones. Up until that time, I thought I had it figured out. I thought you'd become one with whatever with your subject, you get involved, you're like there, you're, you do what they do. It was, the, I mean, how could I think about doing that with a rock and roll band of men? You know, I mean, needless to say, um, I have no regrets, but it, you know, I mean, it, it, it doesn't, it, it would be safe to say I almost lost it and didn't come back, you know, completely. I was on, my friends would say I was still on tour eight years later. So. <laughs> she says since then, she never got that close again, never lost herself, but she continued to capture the world. 
Annie Leibovitz at work includes images of a melancholy Robert Penn Warren, a distant Sid Vicious, a wistful Susan Sontag, and a somber Jimmy Carter. The final stop includes a series of large screens with newer works, many never shown before, including images from Michael Heiser's mile-and-a-half Earthworks monument in the Nevada desert. Set aside some time. The series on the screens lasts about 20 minutes. Um, what I found interesting is, is I was working on the screens and, and, on, and with the newer work, I found older work that sort of correlated with it, like Salman Rushdie, a new portrait of Salman Rushdie, and then I have a series of photographs um, of people who supported him a few years back when he was in hiding. Um, so you'll see, in the screens you'll see relationships which are really, um, you know, quite interesting. Included a new photograph of Elon Musk. And like many of Annie Leibovitz's photographic experiences, this one comes with an anecdote. Elon Musk had agreed to be photographed. We couldn't pin him down. So um, we were getting closer to the opening, and we called, um, we called his mother. And, uh, <laughs> and he was there the next day <laughs> to take his picture. <laughs> This exhibition includes photographs that are part of our national consciousness. That image of Meryl Streep, the Vanity Fair photograph of a naked pregnant Demi Moore, an iconic profile of Michael Jordan, and that image for Rolling Stone magazine of a naked John Lennon in fetal position, embracing and kissing Yoko Ono, his arm curled around her head. The session took place in December 1980. They had just done an album called Double Fantasy, um, there was a photograph of them kissing on the cover. I was so taken by that, the, the picture of them kissing each other that, um, you know, I, when I went to see them, um, I asked if, if they would do, if they'd hold each other and, and hug each other. And, and John, um, and, and then, you know, they were always taking their clothes off. So, <laughs> so I wanted them both to take their clothes off. And Yoko, at the last minute, wouldn't do it. She said, I'll take my shirt off, but I'm take, not taking my pants off. But I said, and I was like, I was irritated, and I said, okay, leave everything on. And, and we took a Polaroid, and John looked at the picture, and he, he said, um, oh, you know, th th that's our relationship. That's really us. That's, that's really us. Um, so, and then I think you all know that several hours later, he was murdered the same day. Uh, so it became, this, another interesting thing in photography and, and photographs is what was, you know, had a certain kind of meaning at the moment or at that time, suddenly it changes. The meaning changes, the story changes with, with what happens. It's like, it's like, oh, is it a kiss goodbye? Or is it, is it do we know this? Or what was going, you know? Um, it's an incredible, it's an incredible life, incredible career, incredible uh, medium photography. And um, uh, I am so lucky. Um, that I, I like what I do, you know, and it's, I just want, want to say that sometimes you're, you're photographing people and you're in their lives and, um, you know, you just have these, these, these moments time to time. Annie Leibovitz at work is at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville through January 29th. This is Ozarks at Large. In the days to come, KUAF's journalism is what you will continue to count on. 
as we all work together to revitalize education, rebuild the economy, reimagine workplaces, reform civic institutions, and take on climate change. KUAF exists to be responsive to you, not to pull higher ratings. KUAF reports to and for the public we serve, because public service is the bedrock of KUAF. Public support. Your support is fundamental to keeping KUAF editorially independent and strong. Without you, there is no KUAF. If you rely on KUAF, donate today at supportkuaf.com. And thanks. Let's scoot over to Bella Vista now. That's the office location for Becca Martin-Brown, arts and entertainment editor for the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, thanks so much for being part of our show again this week. Kyle, funny you say it that way because today's theme, you know I love a good theme. Yes, you do. It's time travel. Forward, backward? All over the place. All right. We are going to journey through time and space without leaving our own region. Okay. Our first stop is the 16th century. Ooh, okay. When Henry VIII was king of England and being his wife was not the celebrity marriage you wanted. <laughs> no, no. Or at least the end of the marriage is not what you wanted. I'm not sure the beginning would have right. been that great. Good but point. you can find out by going to the Walton Arts Center for a show called Six. It is the story of the wives of Henry VIII told by the six wives, but formatted like a an arena rock concert each of the wives um singing about her life yes i have not seen this but one of our reporters went this week and said it was the her favorite thing she'd ever seen at the walton art center eight o'clock today two and eight tomorrow two o'clock on sunday Tickets start at $71. There are limited tickets remaining, so they're doing lottery options. Mm -hmm. So go online to waltonartcenter.org or hit up all your friends and make sure they don't have tickets they're not using. (laughs) Exactly. Next stop is the Wild West, all because of a sculptor who is showing at the Fort Smith Regional Art Museum. Her name is Patsy Lane, and she works in bronze. And her work looks like the traditional Western bronzes that you think have seen at the Gilcrease in Tulsa. And these happened because she was living in Utah near the Uinta Basin, and she start, it was the first time she'd ever seen things like, oh, a mountain lion just strolling across the hillside. I can see where that would be inspirational. She came back this way went to the Cowboy Hall of Fame in Oklahoma, found herself a mentor, and now she has 20 pieces, 21 pieces of bronze in a show at the Fort Smith Regional Art Museum. And... Through October 15th. That's free, right? That is free. Mm-hmm. Next stop is the Roaring Twenties in America. The 1920s. The 1920s. Yeah, we're not roaring. We're too tired. <laughs> Good point. During those Roaring Twenties... It was the heyday of silent film, and silent films weren't really silent. They came with a soundtrack. And you're going to so get... Saturday night... Yeah, you get to experience yep. this. Saturday night, the Paragon Reading Time Orchestra is going to be at the King Opera House in Van Buren. Two shows accompanying three silent films. One by Buster Keaton called The Haunted House from 1921. 
one with Charlie Chaplin called The Immigrant from 1917, and one with Harold Lloyd called Get Out and Get Under from 1920. And it's all part of a gala supporting the Alma Education and Arts Foundation, which will take place at Artland, Maine, also in downtown Van Buren. So you could actually do both, but if you just want to go to the movies, showtimes are 4 and 7.30, and tickets start at $37. By the way, did you know... Aha, I may have you on this one. Okay. Do you know where Buster Keaton was born? Is he Iola, Kansas? Close. Okay. He was born in a little town called Pickway. Okay. Which is just west of Iola. His family was passing through on the vaudeville circuit, and he happened to decide that's where he wanted to be born. And our last stop for our travel journey is 1941. It's the Innocent days just before World War II, uh-huh. when love was in the air and dead bodies were in the window seat. This is arsenic and old lace. Oh, very good, yes. My single favorite play <laughs> ever in the history of all of the plays I've ever seen. And I am so excited that Fort Smith Little Theater is doing a new version of it. But they do promise we will have the double take at the window seat when the nice nephew opens it and finds a dead body in it and wonders, why there's a dead body in Aunt Martha and Aunt Abby's window seat? And hold on, because you'll find out, and the answer isn't what you expect. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me just this once, and get yourself to Fort Smith Little Theater starting on the 21st and continuing through September 30th. Tickets are $12. Oh, and if you want to take one more, two more, three more, <laughs> a couple more, a couple more stops for time traveling. Okay. You can run over on Saturday to north of Mulder, Oklahoma, where they're having the gathering on Polecat Creek. It's a day of Native American games and arts and crafts. Starts at 10 o'clock Saturday morning. The address is on Oklahoma 101 north of Muldrow. It's the Sally Bird Seven Star Community Building. So you should be able to GPS it that way. Also in Eureka Springs, the Women in Faith Quilt Show mm-hmm. is happening at the First United Methodist Church on Arkansas 23 South from 10 to 4 on Saturday. And in downtown Springdale, as part of the downtown Springdale Art Walk, there's a Monarch Butterfly Flight Festival where Shiloh Museum is going to turn loose a raft of butterflies that have just hatched. Hatched? Is that what they do? Uh, well, what would you do? Because you, you, you emerge if you're a butterfly? Cause, New butterflies. Yeah, baby butterflies. Yeah. And they're also going to have a seed ball making thing so you can make food for butterflies. And there's going to be live music and a butterfly parade. And all that's free. Becca Martin-Brown is the Arts and Entertainment Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Thank you, Becca. Thanks, Kyle. As the first inoculators who were dealing with smallpox in the early 1700s uh, discovered... Historian Simon Sharma. It's a very counterintuitive thing to stick what you know is a bit of poison inside your own perfectly healthy body. And yet, we should. Pandemics, vaccines, and all the latest news Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition with Scott Simon tomorrow morning from 7 until 9 on 91.3 KUAF. You can also listen by asking your smart speaker to play 
KUAF. We're entering into the last official summer weekend, and tomorrow, KUAF's summer series of events connected to our lunch hour concerts concludes with Lunch All Day at the Medium in downtown Springdale. Performers tomorrow include Old Man Saxon, Piracoco, Eddie Canyon. The music is taking place outside on what should be a beautiful Saturday. It's at the Medium in downtown Springdale, absolutely free. KUAF Summer Concert Series has been sponsored by McDonald's. Tomorrow's Lunch All Day takes place from 11 until 4. Now the Arkansas Tiny Desk Contest continues into the fall. It's an extension of the NPR Tiny Desk Contest, and next month three Arkansas bands will perform at the Hall in Little Rock, with one being named the winner of the Arkansas Tiny Desk Contest. Leading up to that October 13th show, here we're highlighting some of the many area bands who submitted Tiny Desk performance videos in 2023. On Fridays, KUAF Sophie Narani and Robert Bishop are talking with musicians about their work and why they entered the contest. This week, Sophie talks with the artist Rumwolf. My name is Rumwolf. I'm a multidisciplinary artist, and so I work in a lot of different forms. Um, I try to uh, add music into just about all of the installations that I do. A lot of the work that I've been doing recently is sort of surrounding um, installation art or live activations, immersive situations. And so I work a lot with video technologies and new medias and then sort of jamming that together with old pop culture stuff. Um, and then I try to get my music out there with it as well. So I sort of started as a musician when I was, you know, a teenager and in my 20s, like a lot of people do. And so of all the forms of art that I work in, that's probably the one that I've been at the longest. Um, songwriting is always a big part of my life as an artist um, and just my day-to-day -day life. I uh, pretty much write songs every month. I try to write, you know, two or three a month, um, and I just continuously churn them out. It's almost become sort of a um, therapy-type uh, situation for me. Um, and then over the years, uh, as I try to get my music out there in more traditional ways, like with bands, especially in the Fayetteville music scene, um, I used to have a band called The Ghoul Goes West. We released an album in 2015, I think it is. It's still on uh, Spotify. Um, but the music scene at that time, uh, it just wasn't super supportive of original bands. Um, so we played to a lot of empty rooms, like people do <laughs> on Dixon Street mm -hmm. and um, we did that for about um, oh I'd say five or six years as the ghoul goes west and then I continued sort of releasing music all self-release stuff you know nothing's I've never been on a label or anything like that um, everything's always been self-released uh, self-made handmade uh, our album that we released we recorded in various locations around the area and then I had it mixed and mastered out at East Hall recording um, by Chris Moore. That's kind of the, the spirit of the the tiny desk too like the, on the on a national level and on this local level because there were over 40 submissions from Arkansans to the, the tiny desk contest and you know most people don't listen to people that submit they listen to the winner. Yes, exactly. That's why I feel like it's important to talk to people anyone that just took time to submit something yeah you know? I've um, submitted to the tiny desk contest this is probably my sixth time um, mm -hmm. I submitted to the very first one I can't remember what year that was but I was excited when they announced it and at the time I was listening to Bob Boylan's NPR show constantly mm -hmm. and this was gosh what was that like almost 10 years ago maybe now that first tiny desk contest um, it was really exciting I thought it was such a cool idea the concept of tiny desk anyway is so 
amazing. I love watching those videos. I love when they bring artists into the studio to play. And so, of course, when they first announced it, and I was, uh, that's when I had the Ghoul Goes West, so I was like, we got to do a video. And we, the first one we did, we really put a lot of production value into it. I, um, I did essentially an installation. We built a whole set. It's still out there on YouTube. I was working on this concept album that was all about, it was, and there was a lot of a uh, references to animals and every song was sort of like this reference to some kind of, you know, animal life situation because I had spent some time at a commune around that time. And everybody at the commune had, um, uh, you know, they change their names, of course, when they go to the commune, like a lot of people do. And almost everybody had an animal name. Anyway, I had this collection of songs that I was putting together for um, what I hope to be the second Ghoul Goes West album. We, we never ended up recording it fully. The demos are still online, actually, on SoundCloud. But um, we did this song, Guilt of the Grizzly, and I put a lot of crazy editing into it. And mm -hmm. uh, it worked to because it looked... It stood out amongst a lot of the other entries that year. Um, so we definitely got featured on, I think um, they linked the video on the website or something. You know, we didn't win, of course. <laughs> um, but um, I loved the experience and I loved the idea behind it. And so I entered the next year and the next year after that. And well, it... your, your video specifically stood out to me, obviously, because it was very you know visually enticing and interesting versus... You know, because what you were saying, a lot of people through this contest, they are recording it at home. You know, it's just them, just them in their room strumming a tune. And it, and that's cool. But yours, um, you know, you just added different elements of your art to it. And I thought that that made it stand out. So do you just want to tell me a little bit about your inspiration behind? Yeah, well, the inspiration behind that is I'm a maximalist when it comes to my art practice and my visual and my visual art practice, especially. Um, it's <laughs> almost everything I do is everything but the kitchen sink. And so and that's really in an effort to try to stand out amongst things. And for this year's contest specifically, I had been doing what you saw with the TVs and the cameras and everything. That that has been a part of several of my installation pieces. It looks pieces. similar to the... Right. Yeah, and basically I took that same concept from mm -hmm. uh, some of the things that you saw uh, when I was at the Medium in right. Springdale. I have this piece called the You Control Monster, and it's this big green sculpture made of toys and, you know, all kinds of other things that I source. And inside of that are these four televisions, like a giant floor model one. I, the last year and a half I've been working in this with these analog TVs a lot. Mm -hmm. and so for my installations, what I essentially what I do a lot of the time is I'll, I'll build these TV sculptures and installations, and then I'll, I'll hook an old old-school camera up to them. That's what I was using for the Tiny Desk video. And then I'll just send an image back to the TVs. People love it. It's like looking at an image of them. That's all it is. It's like looking in a mirror, but they're on an old TV, especially younger people who don't remember CRT televisions. Those are the big ones with, you know, with big, heavy, you know, thick televisions. Like with everything, nostalgia sort of rules all of our lives. And that's what I work in mostly is nostalgia, um, pop culture. And so when it came time to do the new Tiny Desk this year. I wasn't going to submit it first because honestly, I haven't, I, I really have moved a lot of my art practice into this installation and performance artwork. And I'm still making music inside of that. But, you know, going back to what I was saying before, I really got sort of disinterested and turned off from the idea of traditional music releasing because I just don't think 
people want that from me because there's already so much out there. So do we need like another dude with an acoustic guitar hitting Spotify? Maybe not. And so I started to move my music into a different realm to see if I could start to combine all of the different things I've done over the years uh, into a contemporary art world. But I still like the tiny desk thing, and I still thought I had no intentions of. I really, I mean, I thought like every year I would submit it, and it would be completely ignored, as it often is, and then um, I would uh, move on to do something else. So all the things you see in that video, those were um, they happened to be uh, in my home studio at the time, and so I just kind of trucked trucked them over to the kitchen, which is where I recorded it, and I have all that equipment is just readily available, sitting around. So I just built a set, an installation. I was in between uh, installations professionally at the time. I had just taken one down and um, was uh, it was about to go to another location. So I just had all the stuff there. So I, I put it together quite easily, thinking that it would be, that it would at least catch somebody's eye. And also I had the idea that I would go ahead and enter the Tiny Desk Contest, but I would uh, link on my Instagram, which really now is where most of my work goes. So where can we find you? On Instagram, it's just rumwolf, mm -hmm. rum underscore wolf. That's like the number one place to find me in all of my work. That's where I do all the promoting. And then I'm gonna be at the Momentary with my installation, The Big Free Picture, is running through October 15th. Um, we'll have a number of activations and performances inside the gallery. In September, we're going to have a musical performance where me and my collaborators, who I call the Schmucks, so Rum Wolf and all the Schmucks, will be in the gallery, and we're going to recreate the soundtrack that's playing over the Big Free Picture. Um, and then in October, when we close the uh, when we close the installation, we're going to have a big Halloween party on Friday, October the 13th. That's also my birthday, and so we're going to have a closing reception slash Halloween party slash Rum Wolf birthday party. And uh, I don't know who's going to be playing at that yet, but you can guarantee that we're going to have a bunch of musicians at it. So come out to that. And I think just keep your ear to the ground on uh, on social media. That's where I push everything out. But uh, And then, yeah, also um, you can check out all kinds of information on the Big Free Picture on the Momentary website and information about my residency and my work as an artist there. And hopefully I'm going to, I hope this fall is going to be a lot more live performances of music. I have rediscovered my love for playing my songs live again. Even well, that's and, great. And so I'm really looking forward to getting out there and maybe maybe trotting some of this stuff out outside of contemporary art galleries. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. Rumwolf talked with KUAF's Sophie Narani at the Carver Center for Public Radio. The conversation, part of our celebration of the artists participating in the Arkansas Tiny Desk Concert. The contest will conclude with performances by some of the artists in Little Rock at the Hall on October 13th. It's all being coordinated in conjunction with Little Rock Public Radio KUAF and Ozarks at Large. Now, next Friday on our show, KUAF's Robert Bishop will talk with singer-songwriter Ashton Barbary. After But Her Emails became shorthand in 2016 for the media's deep focus on Hillary Clinton's server hygiene at the expense of policy issues, is history repeating itself? You can almost see an equation, again, I would say, led by the times in Biden being old with Donald Trump being under dozens of felony indictments. Listen to On the Media from WNYC. On the media, Sunday morning beginning at 11 on 91.3 KUAF. Then Monday, on our next daily edition of Ozarks at Large, another trip into the Pryor Center archives with Randy Dixon. This time, 
He'll tell us about a decades-long murder case that included three trials and an unexpected confession from one of history's most notorious serial killers. Henry Lee Lucas spent most of his life drifting from one town to another. And in a killing spree that spanned several states and 20 years, he claims to have murdered more than 150 people, all strangers in crimes that often had no motive. On two different occasions, Lucas reportedly confessed to the murder of Betty Thornton, a Little Rock convenience store clerk shot to death three years ago. 23-year-old Scotty Scott has already been convicted of that crime, but Scott's attorney, John Wesley Hall, believes Lucas's confession is basis for a new trial. Henry Lee Lucas confessed to the crime twice, once in November and then again in January. In the January confession was on videotape taken by the Little Rock police. That full story is our next journey through archives from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. It's on Mondays, Ozarks at Large, at noon and 7 p.m. on your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF. On the next Points of Departure, we re-examine the past. Whether it's the Chinese emperor, Arab sheik, or a feudal lord, or trickle-down economics, it's the feudal system. Those on the bottom are supposed to content themselves with the scraps. Author and social scientist Rihanna Eisler dismantles social constructs to help us find a new path forward. Listen to Points of Departure at KUAF.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Ozarks at Large. Ryan Versi, back with me in the Anthony and Susan Oy News Studio. I am back again. How's, how's it going? Pretty good. Uh, you're the underwriting director here at KUAF. But That's you, correct. But you also get to give people a great day when you give away tickets. Right. That's absolutely right. So um, I know a lot of people have been waiting for <laughs> this announcement. And unfortunately, there's going to be so many people upset. <laughs> right. You're making a handful of people happy a, that they've a got free format. A handful is going to be very happy about <laughs> this however there are going to be people who just just i want to encourage you to keep entering the giveaways because yeah. we're going to have so many more giveaways coming up very soon as in the holiday friends and family holiday giveaways oh, coming up soon too so there'll be plenty of opportunities to win really cool prizes there this is for format this the, however is for the format festival this year downtown bentonville all sorts of musicians and artists some oh, yeah. of these giveaway a lot of these giveaways were through instagram Yes, so through Instagram, we gave away, or we set up the giveaway for three, actually four, four pairs mm-hmm. of three-day general admission tickets. Okay. So I'm going to call out those winners right now. And you had to follow us on Instagram. You had to enter. follow us on Instagram to do it. Here's you had a to lesson. tag two of your friends. Okay. You had to um, share the post to your story. Okay. And then it was one other thing. But- um, the way we set it up, you you weren't included in the entries if you did not follow all the instructions. All right. So we did a random generator. I actually paid for that because um, I wanted to make sure we did it right. Right. Um, <laughs> so of those people who did follow the instructions correctly, uh-huh. the winners include at YSL Danny One. Oh, that's right. We're going to have their handles. These are going to be Instagram handles. Right. Uh, Yesenia, I'm assuming this is Yesenia Castillo. Okay. That's Yesenia underscore Castillo 2. Uh-huh. Um, then we have Slonky Tonk Girl. <laughs> I feel bad now because my Instagram handle is Kyle Kellums. Kyle Kellums, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's not clever. <laughs> I mean, we, we got time to work on that. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then last but not least, we have Zoe Hamilton with two E's. Okay. All right, so these are the winners for the three-day 
general admission tickets. Now, these winners have been contacted as mm-hmm. of right now, as of mm-hmm. this moment. They've been contacted, and uh, the tickets will be at will call. Excellent. For those people using their actual names, of course. Okay. However, we did something special for our subscribers to our newsletter. Uh-huh. So, if you are a subscriber to the newsletter, you had an opportunity and a much better chance to win the pair of VIP three-day tickets. Ooh. Yeah. But you had to be a subscriber to the free. Even bigger lesson there. That's right. The free newsletter. The newsletter is free to subscribe. Just go to KUAF.com. You can subscribe from there. And here's the thing. Even if you don't win format tickets, you find out what was on Ozarks at Large the exactly. previous day. You find out what NPR is covering. The it's Word Game. It. Yeah, the There's Word so Game. There's so many cool right. things. Like, at this point, why are you not already subscribed to the newsletter? Right. So, again, subscribe to the newsletter. Follow us on Instagram. Cool things happen when you do. Okay. Especially for Steve Marquez. All right, Steve. Congratulations. Exactly. Steve Marquez is the winner of the VIP, the pair of VIP tickets for Format Festival. Again, we've contacted all the winners at this point, gotten their correct info, so we, that we can send it to Format. Tickets will be at will call. Ryan Versi, Underwriting Director at KUF. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too, Kyle. Thanks. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Pea Ridge. KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Today's show put together with all kinds of assistance, including from Michael Tilley, Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Matthew Moore, The Newsroom at KUAR, Little Rock Public Radio, Becca Martin-Brown, Sophie Narani. Thank you, Ryan Versi, KUAF Underwriting Director, for stopping by as well. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellams, back Sunday morning at 9 with Weekend, Ozarks at Large. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art presents the final season of Listening Forest. Guests are invited to explore an interactive world of light, sound, and wonder in this immersive nighttime experience. Open now. Tickets at crystalbridges.org. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, kicks off its 69th season Saturday, September 23rd at Walton Arts Center. Performing under the baton of maestro Paul Haas, Sona musicians present Great Romantics. Featuring Leonard Bernstein's Symphonic Dances from West Side Story and Sergei Rachmaninoff's Symphony No. 2. Tickets and more at sonamusic.org.